It is I, the lyrical miracle, the sexual intellectual, the cunning linguist, and the quintessential stud muffin, Joel Gertner. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Keep listening and watching and have yourself an eargasm. The following announcement has been paid for by the WZWA Network. Hi, everybody. This is former WWE superstar Al Snow. And My name is Eugene. And you are watching the Insider's Edge podcast. Now get on the train. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Insider's Edge podcast here on the WCWA Network. I'm your host with the most on the West Coast, California in Fury. It is great to be with you once again. And I have to do the introduction the way that he would introduce himself back in the day. And I've written my own one. So it, I, I hope you like it. But uh, look, he is none other than the quintessential stub muffin, Joel He's a star from a fed down in Philly where he wasn't shy about freeing Willie. He made his name and went on to raise his stock as a legend at the travel lodge for the size of his cock. ECW went away, which we all know is sad. He didn't go to New York, which makes me kind of mad because if he was in the WWE, you wouldn't find him on Tinder because he'd be banging Steph and sticking it in Linda Gertner. That's amazing. Wow. I love it. That's, that's, <laughs> hey, that's great, man. That's, that's authentic right there. That is official. Oh, that's Good great, night. man. That's why I had like uh, butterflies in my stomach before this. Cause I was like, Oh, I really hope he likes what I, what I came <laughs> <to do." laughs> Uh So Joel, great to have you on the show, my friend. Um, me and Thank Jack- you. Very excited to talk to you. As per usual, every time we interview someone on the show, the first question always is how you became a wrestling fan when you were young. Gosh, uh, a friend of mine. I I was watching game shows a lot on TV. Big TV fan, but I was watching game shows a lot. Um, I hadn't found wrestling yet. And a friend of mine at summer day camp said... um, you should try watching this wrestling thing. And I tried it on for size. And man, it was just, I, I was taken aback by how there were things that you would see and things that you would hear on wrestling that you wouldn't see or hear anywhere else on television, not even close. So yeah, just uh, started watching it. Um, started getting newsletters found out about um, a school, a gym um, in New York City, not too far from me. Uh, Started going there, doing shows, um, meeting people. And, uh, and man, it started from there. I've been, uh, I've been doing it since about my 16th birthday uh, as an active performer. Uh, I started as a tape trader um, a little bit before that, um, also as a teenager, but uh, have been out there performing since about 16. Uh, I think later this year is going to be my 30 years. Wow, but, man. Fuck yeah. 
Crazy stuff, man. The bug bit you at an early age and you were in there at an early age. Uh, so, I, I mean, how did you find your way to get into the business? You know, what was your first step? How did you, you know, you, you went to a school, you know, how was that process? Was that hard? It was, uh, I'm nobody's athlete. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, I, I, even as I was doing it, I knew I was setting myself up for failure, kind of. I knew I was doing something worthwhile, but indirectly worthwhile. Um, and, and, that's, and that's what I did. I took a couple of classes. Um, I learned how to take a back bump, which would pay off in ECW when I would wind up taking everybody's finish. Um, <laughs> and, uh, and I learned how to run the ropes. And right. that was it. And in a way, that's all I needed, because now, you know, if I'm called upon to do, let's say, color commentary on an Internet pay-per-view, you know, within the color commentary, I can draw upon those experiences and say, hey, you see Sabu out there doing what he's doing at the age of 50 or or whatever, and and you in your basement, your mom's house, and you think at the age of 23 that you can just go out there and do what Sabu just did. Well, let me tell you from experience, you wouldn't even be able to run the ropes without getting welts on your back. You wouldn't even know how to fall and protect. And, And I can actually call upon stuff like that that was difficult for me to do Right. Because um, because I, I had the experience of going through the motions and learning that the in between the ropes of it all was not for me. Right, uh, that's interesting. And and uh, another thing I find interesting is um, you saying that you would see wrestling on television and they would do and say things that you wouldn't normally see on television. That brings me to ECW. Uh, you, you when you first see ECW before you got involved. First of all, your mind must have been blown, but also how did you get involved with ECW? Yeah, I liked ECW as I was following it. Um, I was at college and, uh, and I wasn't right near Philly. Um, I was a few hours away. Um, actually, before I started working with the company, I might have gone to maybe about two live shows, but that was it. Um, I, I found out about them through the newsletters, through being a, a wrestling observer, subscriber, and uh, radio shows and stuff like that. Um, internet was kind of not really firing on all cylinders yet, but um, I, I was kind of on a preliminary version. I, I had something called Prodigy, uh, which is one of these old kind of like Prodigy AOL CompuServe. It was kind of a, a bulletin board kind of thing. It was okay. free, worldwide web. Um, it was kind of late 80s, early 90s. So between that and, and whatnot, um, I knew of ECW. Um, I started working there in September of 95. And I, I went to a show in August of 95 at the ECW arena. And uh, I, I went and hung out after the show at what I was told was the local spot where everybody hangs out after the show. Um, so I wanted, you know, I, I had been working indies for coming up on four years. I was approaching my 20th birthday and, um, and I was in town and and decided that I would try to network and, uh, I'm there at the hotel and Paul Heyman is buzzing for an elevator. Right. 
and I and and I and I knew nothing of what was called or what is called an elevator pitch that you could give, you know, for example, to a CEO about your business or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I knew no, I I didn't even know that there was such a thing as an elevator pitch, but in my mind, you know, I, I saw him there and I had a story to tell him about how I would love to work at their next show in Middletown, New York, which was not far I said from where I was going to college. It also <laughs> wasn't close, but I I didn't mention that. I just said I introduced myself and I said, I know that your ring announcing crew is based here out of Philly. And I know that you have a show coming up in a few weeks in Middletown, New York. I don't know. I don't want to step on anybody's toes. I don't want to take a gig away from anybody else, but you know, it's not far from where I go to school. And, uh, and I had told him in, in introducing myself that I was an admirer of his work and that we had a mutual friend and long story short, I just basically asked him for a job right. and he, and he looked at me and he was like, you want it? I was like, well, yeah. He's like, you got it. Be there by five. Oh, wicked. Right. And that was it. Yeah. And be there by five turned into, you know, five plus years. <laughs> That's incredible. That's awesome, man. Who were uh, some of the first friends that you made in uh, the, your first days at ECW? I mean, obviously walking in there, there would have been sort of an odd bunch of guys in there. You would have been probably scared of a bunch of them too. But uh, who were some of the first friends that you had made in ECW? I think the same way I could be scared of them is the same way a lot of them were trepidatious. Uh, there were a few of them that were leery of me. And I don't, you know, for no other reason, I guess, than, um, you know, I was so young. And I, because I'm not in there bumping, uh, I kind of gave off a vibe that I was not one of the boys. And um, so, so the, the same could be said with the shoe on the other foot. Um, as far as who I befriended or who I met, I, I like to treat it the same way I liked to treat high school. And that was to just try to you know, be funny and be nice and, and be cool and utilize the golden rule and just kind of be friendly with everybody and, and, and try to get over with everybody and just kind of be accepted in everybody's clique. And I, I didn't think it was worthwhile to try to, you know, not be anyone's friend. I, I thought it was, you know, I, I had no reason not to be cool with everybody. So I, I tried my best to befriend everybody. Um, gosh axel rotten was so cool and uh chris candido and um you know of course working with the dudleys i spent a lot of time with them uh then you've got a lot of guys that were geniuses and and guys that a lot of people put over as geniuses and some that you might not know were geniuses you know everybody knows raven has a great aptitude for wrestling a lot of people don't know um how wrestling smart sandman is and how uh, curious and intellectual. I mean, Sandman uh, would surprise a lot of people, I think, who might only want to talk to him about drinking beer. Um, gosh, just, uh, you know, Blue Meanie is a friend to this day. Um, you know, uh, and like I say, I mean, I, I hate to single him out and say a friend to this day because I, I really, I, I get along with everybody. I mean, the, you know, like family, you know, sometimes we have a spat between us and we just kind of get over it and it's water under the bridge. But, um, but gosh, I, you know, I got along with everybody 
and I tried to let everybody in and anybody who wanted to be a, a friend, um, you know, I was more than happy for it. Yeah. And what were some of the stories of uh, you guys partying at the uh, infamous uh, travel lodge? No, uh, Carl has brought that up in the intro. Oh man, dude, that place. Oh God. I'm watching a show on HBO. I don't know if you guys are familiar here in the States with HBO, but like all of the stuff that's like real edgy TV, you know, Sopranos was on there and like um, Game of Thrones and like all the stuff that's like, it's not TV, it's HBO. I don't know. I think in the UK, there's a similar thing called Bravo. I don't know what you guys get, but um, man, um, we're watching a show on HBO right now that we just started called uh, Room 104. And it's like a, a Twilight Zone kind of like the, the Travelodge was. I don't know, man. The first murder in Philadelphia of 1996, which was my first full year in the company. If you go back and look in the books, like open up the crime blotter, the first murder in Philly of 96 happened at the Travelodge. Uh, right around the same time unfortunately there was a child who drowned in the hotel pool at the travelodge and there was something else too i don't remember the other thing but there was like this trifecta of things that happened within like three months of each other dude this place um man it was just awful it was awful you would get your hotel room key And they would accidentally have given somebody else that same room as well. And you'd you'd open up the door and you'd see like some couple on their honeymoon, like copulating. Like it was was like, (sighs) dude, it was honestly, it was, it was like a cable. It was like a pay cable television show. Like every third saturday that we were there it was like it wasn't just like it it it, it, it was you had to live through it i mean it was just you never knew what you knew you were going to the travelodge you never knew by the time you checked out on a sunday morning you never knew what your life would be for the 12 hours prior you just had no idea (laughs) there there was just no way of knowing what you were walking into even knowing what you were walking into because you've been going there every three weeks you just never knew exactly like the flavor of gum that you thought you liked from three weeks ago would never come back in style it was always something different um (laughs) i don't know man fantastic it sounds amazing (laughs) um Back to the uh, back to actually ACW. How did you transition uh, into an on-screen character after beginning as a ring announcer? Um, I don't know. Um, I haven't heard much of your ring announcing stuff, so that was kind of a uh, it's kind of news to me, Carl. How long was that going yeah. for? Oh, I think Joel will have a better answer than I would. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Joel, I, tell uh, story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I uh, I started as a ring announcer and a timekeeper, like a backup ring announcer and a timekeeper. Um, and I did that for a few months and our primary ring announcer, Bob Artiz, who a lot of people are familiar with from um, most big shows at the ECW arena. Um, he had to miss November to remember 95. Um, November to remember was like our WrestleMania. It was like our biggest show of the year. Um, so I got tapped to ring announce that, um, 
he was gone for a little while. Um, we were bringing in luchadors, and we were bringing in Damien six 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 from Japan. So I spoke Spanish, and at college I took a couple of years of Japanese. So I spoke Japanese, and I was familiar with the ring intro styles of both. And so I would become the foreign language ring announcer as well. Uh, and from being the foreign language ring announcer and ring announcer, um, I was eventually, um, when Bob Ortiz was ready to come back from hiatus, I was made a heel ring announcer, uh, kind of a valet, a mouthpiece, um, kind of an advocate type. Um, and yeah. And uh, did that with bounced around um, from this guy to that guy or from this team to that team and finally landed on the Dudleys and was their ring announcer slash manager for um, for about two and a half years. Um, but ring announcing is fun. Uh, I loved listening to Howard Finkel when I was growing up watching wrestling. He was one of my favorites, um, probably. My original dream, even before thinking about um, could I be um, a great manager, uh, my original dream, and I would have been uh, happy enough uh, to be um, a ring announcer and, and was glad that I have had the opportunity to do that and, uh, and still do that on occasion. There's a company here uh, in the States called VXS, uh, Violence and Suffering, and I've started working with them recently. And uh, they actually have a show dropping on IWTV today, Super Bowl Sunday here in the States, um, and, uh, and have done some ring announcing with them. Uh, and it's fun to get back in there doing that. Um, but yeah, um, ring announcing was really, really fun and opened the door for me to move sideways uh, and luckily forwards so that when Bob Ortiz came back full time, uh, I was a heel ring announcer that transitioned into managing the Dudleys. And then I got to be a manager for a few years. And then when the Dudleys left and went to Vince, uh, I got to take the step forward again and become the uh, color commentator and co-host on uh, what became our flagship show, uh, ECW on TNN. Awesome, That's awesome, man. man. Like what a, what a, what a, what a rise uh, through the, through the company uh, in, in a short few years there. Uh, you mentioned working with the Dudleys and I almost burst into laughter whilst you were talking because I was thinking of the way that you would always uh, announce Devon. Uh, it just always gets me. Um, but working with the Dudley boys, that must have been some fun right there. The heat that those guys drew, there's some scary stuff right there. Uh, tell me a little bit about what that, was, that experience was like with those guys. They were, it was cool to work with them. Um, they were young as well. Uh, we were all in our 20s. We were all cutting our teeth in ECW. We weren't guys that were in ECW like some others that had been to WWF or been to WCW. We were all getting our big break together. Um, we were all trying to get heat together. We were all trying to complement each other, not steal each other's thunder. Um, so it was interesting. You know, it made for um, a very, very uh, sometimes um, just a very kind of um, electric kind of vibe between us. Uh, it seemed like uh, Devon uh, most of the time uh, would be kind of a good cop influence um, as the Dudleys, the two of them, Bubba and Devon would interact with me. Uh, Devon a lot of the time would be the good cop 
and Bubba would be the bad cop. And that was a, a dynamic that I think a lot of people, you know, outside looking in could even see and, and, and um, understand what's going on. It was, uh, it was palpable um, that you could see that, uh, that Bubba was kind of a very take charge, speak up and, and hands-on and proactive and very interested in, um, you know, just doing what was right for himself and right for the team and, and right for all of us. And um, it was just great to work with them. We all contributed. We all were creative. We all went out there and, and performed and, and tried to fire on all cylinders. We were, um, it, it, it was very much uh, like a family. It, it really was. It was, we might as well have been related. It might, it might as well have been like, you know, for lack of a better comparison, you know, two brothers from the Samoan wrestling legacy who are out there being managed by their cousin and they all go out there. And I, I don't think if we were related, it would have made us any more intense and any more effective because effectively it was as if we were related because we went out there and like, not as much like friends, but more like family you know, because ECW was that little engine that could, and ECW was that fight against the machine and rage against the power and, you know, just fight against the money of it all that, you know, was trying their best to put us out of business and steal our thunder. And, and we just went out there and did what we could and, and, and helped each other. Yeah, that's awesome, man. You could definitely tell the, the, the chemistry with you guys was just unbelievable. Uh, I always love watching some of that older stuff. Um, I want to ask a little bit about the, the, the birth of the quintessential stud muffin and, and how you came up with the name uh, and, and how things slowly but surely evolved to the point where you would, you know, saying your name and then giving your moniker this, you know, several paragraph uh, <laughs> uh, thing and then before you, you know, said Gertner. Uh, how, how did that all come about? The Limerick started innocently enough. Uh, I was like 10 years old. I was reading a joke book, like a paperback book, uh, either gross jokes or truly tasteless jokes or something like that, you know, volume 12 or whatever. And, um, and one of the jokes in the book was, how is a penis like a Rubik's cube? The more you play with it, the harder it gets. And I said to myself, at 10 years old, I said to myself, my blessing will be that one day I can repurpose this within professional wrestling. <laughs> and, I, and that was me calling my shot. And, um, and it happened. And they were just that short to start. You know, it was that or it was, uh, you know, it was or sometimes it was based on a song lyric. It could be anything. It could be a squeeze my lemon till the juice runs down my leg. You know, it was just, it was like one or two lines. And eventually it just became paragraphs and stanzas. And, you know, I did one at, at a guilty as charged pay-per-view in Florida that was like 16 lines and it was all about <laughs> Disney world. And I mean, they just, they really got, and especially when you're just coming up with them half an hour before the show, and you're going on live TV and you can't read it off a card or a teleprompter and you have to memorize it. <laughs> it's, it gets intense, but um, yeah. Quintessential stud muffin was Paul's idea. Uh, I think I found out 
after the fact that quintessential stud muffin, the reason he wanted me to be that, it was an homage to Austin Idol, who okay. he managed early in his career when he was in his early 20s, which was my age at the time. So it was in homage to him. Uh, Austin Idol had been the universal heartthrob. So okay. I got to be the quintessential stud muffin. Oh, very cool. Um, so uh, again, with the Dudleys, um, you find out that they're leaving. Uh, they're, they're, they're going to the to the WWF. Uh, how did that make you feel? And I, I guess this is where was a decision made like, okay, like I've done the managing thing now. There's a spot opening up as a color commentator. Would have you preferred to stay managing and go with someone else? Or was this opportunity to be a color commentator? It's kind of like a double question there, but how did you feel when the Dudley's left and, and, and that process of deciding whether to keep managing or take this chance? Everything kind of happened at once um, with the Dudleys leaving in kind of the middle part of 99 and with me kind of signing a contract around that time and with the TNN show starting like three or four months later. Right. Um, so between April of 99 and August of 99, everything was kind of happening all at once. Um, I think it was right after that, but it could have even been before. I'd have to look at the chronology, but uh, I, I even talked briefly with WWE. Uh, they were interested. We, we had a talk, me and Terry Taylor, um, about coming in. Um, they were looking at me for Public Enemy, um, and Public okay. Enemy wound up not having a long run there. Um, when the Dudleys were leaving, they pulled me aside to kind of let me know. Um, and kind of, I guess, in a way, like, um, you know, Bubba being Bubba, um, it's not so much that he told me that he thought there may be a spot for me with WWE, or it's not so much him saying, we really want to take you with us. But looking back, maybe it wasn't not that either. Like it, it was hard to kind of, for me and for where my head was at and wanting to stay ECW loyal, if I could. Um, it, was, it was just tough to kind of understand and reconcile and figure out. So I guess let's just say that at the very least, I was pulled aside and informed that when their obligations were up that they were making the transition and they were going to be going to the WWE. And I don't know if that was their way of saying, be, we know you're about to sign a contract, be careful oh. in doing that. I don't, yeah, I don't know exactly. I don't know how far reaching and, and, and what it entailed as far as them looking out for me and them trying to advise me. I really, even looking back on it, don't really remember and don't know. Um, so like I say, a lot of things were happening at the same time. Uh, and I was being offered the chance to be the co-host and color commentator for the TNN show and, um, and decided that's, that sounded great. You know, that, you know, the Dudleys were going to do their thing. I had never been approached at that time yet by the WWE office. So it's not like when they first knew they were leaving that I knew I was leaving. Uh, I didn't. What was on the table for me 
when Paul presented it was the contract uh, that I was about to sign and ECW on TNN in the works for a few months later. And um, so I took it because I figured, you know, WWE is there. They'll be there. Um, You know, if I do well in this contract, uh, it's always maybe something for the future. Uh, I was 23 still. And uh, yeah. Yeah. So I, so I stayed uh, and wound up having, like I say, that one conversation and it was nice to know that there was interest and that I was wanted. Um, But I, I wound up uh, you know, that was just kind of a feeler and just putting it out there. I think it was before, I guess it would only make sense that it was before I signed. So it was probably also something that happened right there in that middle part of 99 uh, I'd have to go back and look and see when uh, when Public Enemy was to debut, but um, and see how that all worked out. But you know, it just you know, you look back now and it's so pivotal and it's so landmark and it's like you know such part of the chronology of your career. But when it's happening in the day to day calendar, week to week, and it's happening in the present and not in the past, it's just like the travelodge. It's life. You take it as it comes to you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like it's just. It's just really kind of, and especially with ECW, it's just so super hectic and helter-skelter and you're just trying to live your life and put your ducks in a row and make these decisions sometimes that you have to make, you know, on the spur of the moment that you don't realize, you know, how big a certain um, decision might be for you. Um, But yeah, that's kind of where my head was at is that I was still young. I still had opportunities with ECW. ECW was still strong. Uh, and they gave me my big break in the first place. And I was a big fish there. And I was blessed to be somebody who was a featured performer that wasn't doing, you know, the in-ring physical blood, gut, sweat, and tears. And I just, uh, at that time, I didn't really have any reason to leave. If the Dudleys would have told me, we want you with us, we've told them that, they're looking at you, they're going to give you a call in the next few weeks, don't sign. I don't know what I would have done with that information. Uh, that would have been an entirely different scenario from how it played out. Uh, how it played out, luckily, led to me having another couple of years in ECW and being there until the end. Unbelievable, man. That's uh, 23. That just blows my mind. Like to, to me, making such big decisions about your life at 23 contracts and being, you know, one of the voices of a television show, that's just blows my mind. Cause at 23, I was doing nothing. Like I was just drinking beer and, and being hung over all the time. Uh, I got over- some of that in too. Yeah. I try, I tried my best to get some of that in too. <laughs> yeah. that was over to you, Jack. <clears throat> yeah. Uh, so talk to us about uh, sort of ACW on TNN. Uh, we're more interested in the issues that ECW is having with TNN because each week you started taking uh, digs at them in each year or sort of opening promos. Uh, talk to us about those issues. Uh, we've heard about it, some of them on the show, but we want to hear your perspective on those. I know it's they different were legit. for everyone. Yeah, no, yeah, they were legit issues. TNN, I think, was... Um, we were, we were partners with TNN, I think, pretty begrudgingly. Uh, they weren't real kind of, I don't know, man. You know, they were just kind of showing their country stuff every hour of the week except for us. And we were just a sore thumb there. Um, I don't know, man. Like, how do you... Like, we were the lead-in for Roller Jam, 
Roller Jam would get half our rating. Usually, you know, like usually if, if we're strong and we're the lead in at eight o'clock, they should be doubling up at nine o'clock. Like if we're getting a one point, a one point oh, they should be getting a two point oh. And we're getting a one point oh, and then with us as a lead in, they're losing half that audience and they're getting a zero point five. And then like I'm, you know, walking around, you know, here in the city in, in, or in New York City or in Brooklyn or wherever I am. And I see like the public bus go by and I see the side of the bus advertisement has roller jam on it instead of ECW, even though we get, you know, tw- you know, they at one point were showing, I don't know whether they did it in error or not, but Paul called in and complained. They showed a pure ECW 30 second non-specific um just in a, they ran an ad they ran a spot they ran an ECW spot that sounds great right they're promoting the show they ran a 30 second spot they ran it during our show they ran a spot during our show to people who are already watching the spot <laughs> when Paul called the office and asked them why are you running spots while our show is going on they said hey man that's your target audience we're running the spot so that wrestling fans will see it <laughs> so, it, so I mean, I mean, it, it was. I don't know. I mean, we did what we had to do, and I think they they were doing what they they had bigger fish to fry, and they probably knew that they were rebranding to Spike TV within twelve months, and they probably wanted WWE WWF, and they probably said to themselves, "We're gonna acclimate our viewers." to wrestling being part of our format. And then if ECW, like a guinea pig, gets over, we're going to dump them after the one-year agreement and we're going to take WWF from USA. And that's exactly what happened. That's so... I had never heard that story before about the advert. That's just... That makes no sense to do that. Unbelievable. Just fucked yeah. These big corporate fucks. Anyway, <laughs> that's a whole that's a story for a whole nother time. Um, a story we've also heard multiple times on the podcast is uh, another infamous night of ECW Heatwave two thousand. Uh, what's your what's your collection of that night? Gosh, I it was great to be in LA. Uh, I'm going to be out there again in a couple of weeks doing an in store appearance at Jimmy's World Order. Um, I, I don't get out there much. Um, it was great to be there. Uh, that was my first time working there professionally. Um, God, what do I remember about Heatwave 2000? Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know. I mean, it just seemed like it was a powder keg ready to explode. It seemed, you know, there's a part of me from being in the business for a little while that thinks that everything is a work, you know? Oh man, this is a work. This can, uh, it worked out too perfectly. Oh, it can't be. And, you know, sometimes it's like, oh, everybody expected this to happen and it happened. So it was telegraphed. So it was a work. Um, I don't know, man, what to make of it. Didn't seem like a work when people were outside the building killing each other. You know, it was, um, um, I even tried to get involved. And one of the boys tried to protect me and was like, no, no, you know, go away. This is not for you. And um, 
I, you know, I don't, I, I don't know what to make of it. It was, it was, um, it was meant to happen. Um, it was, it was there. It was really violent. Um, I don't know. You know, I'm not close enough to the situation. Um, you know, I'm just, uh, as far as that went, I was a cog in the wheel. Um, in a way you're surprised in a way you're like, well, well, this riot was kind of, you know, building for a long time now. And, um, I don't know, I guess XPW felt that we were on their turf and it was their turf to defend. And, uh, and, and, you know, we obviously didn't see it that way. I mean, you know, here we are, we've booked a show in LA and, you know, it's a place for us to be. And this is just us doing our business. And it's tough to say, man, I, I, you know, I, I, the closest I got to the situation was wanting to join in and help out my friends and my fam uh, and, and being told, you know, no, no, you know, don't, 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 this is not for you. This is, you know, just, this is bad. Just kind of go hang out. And, you know, it, it was really weird to be a part of, I can imagine. We we just we we ask every uh, person who was in ECW at that time that question because we want to make a little compilation video. But uh, anyone and everyone's perspective is appreciated. So thanks, Joel. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, I don't. There's a part of me that hopes it was a work, like a, a st- right for as violent as it was, and for like, why are these people who are all in the business? trying to advance and get over and have, you know, nice long-term healthy careers and make money and feed their families, you know, why do they feel the need? You know, I just, I mean, I, I get that XPW was kind of, you know, efforting to be the West Coast's version of ECW, but, um, you know, I guess for that reason, like I, I was kind of hoping it was something that was more a publicity stunt and more for the sake of the fans than it was for the boys, but just, seeing it up close and just being a part of it. Um, I'm not quite sure that that's what that was. I, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Oh dear. Um, so anyway, I wanted to know, uh, you know, this, you know, you're moving forward through 2000 things with TNN aren't going very well, obviously. I was interested to see your perspective on when you started realizing maybe things financially or just things with ECW weren't going so well in that way with Paul, I guess maybe he wasn't there as often and, and things like that. When did you first notice things with ECW were kind of starting to go downhill? So I banked with the same bank that ECW banked with. I banked with Chase. So they had Paul's signature card on file So if I would go to the bank on a Monday morning coming from the weekend and I had a check, we got our checks every two weeks. If I had a check and I took it right to the bank and deposited it, I think I was able to get all of the cash for it immediately. Right. It just cashed through because it's chase to chase for them. Uh, It's like internal cash because I was always able to cash my check pretty much first, like on Monday rather than wait for it you know, to trickle into my account on like Wednesday or Thursday. Um, my checks really never bounced. But I was hearing from other people that checks were starting to bounce. Um, 
I think towards the very end, maybe checks were getting skipped. Like we'd get a check every four weeks instead of every two weeks. I think that's when a lot of people really thought that there might be writing on the wall. Um, yeah, and then there was talk that we were putting together a syndicated deal uh, to be on late Saturday night, like 12.30 a.m. on like uh, local um, like ABC network. You guys have your ABC, but uh, ABC, the American Broadcasting Company uh, that's owned by Disney, that's in the same family as like ESPN and stuff. Um, the local ABCs, like in New York, it would be Channel 7, whatever, um, through a Disney deal, through uh, their syndicated, it's called Buena Vista Television. And I think, um, you know, they like, even though ER, the old medical show, was on NBC network here in the States, you could watch it like Saturday nights at 1230 on like your local ABC affiliate. It was oh, like a syndicated yeah. deal. Um, so there was talk that we had that in the works for ECW. Um, one of the things I heard working at the studio doing production was that, and we talked about this on a recent episode of uh, my podcast with Blue Meanie and Josh Chernoff, that was extreme. Um, but what I had heard was that there was interest in turning us into a reality show where hijinks at the Travelodge, for example, would become par for the course because the show would be half episodic wrestling and the other half, like the boys on the road, like driving to the towns with each wow. other. Yeah, uh, so there was talk of doing that with the people behind Real World, Bunim and Murray. Um, that, that trickled to us. Um, we never knew what rumors were true, what was real, what was, you know, further developed maybe and being hoped for, um, you know, on our side than it might have been on the other side. And who knows, there might be some stuff that, you know, people really hoped that ECW would make a deal with them and ECW was kind of being standoffish. We realized our value at that point. Um, it, it was tough. Um, when did we know? I think everybody knew at a different time. You know, late 2000 was just, um, it's a tough time, man. You know, Christmas was coming. Um, it, it was just a really wild time, man. We, uh, 2001 was tough, you know, because we did our January pay-per-view. Yeah. We ran billboards that said there was a March pay-per-view coming. It never came. And then here in the States, you think about just wrestling, uh, but also outside wrestling, you know, ECW doesn't do their March pay-per-view. WCW shuts down in about March. Um, Paul Heyman shows up at WrestleMania, March, April. And then as you're trying to finally get over that, five months later, it's September and we have 9-11, you know? So uh, it, it was a really, really rough time 20 years ago. But um, yeah, I mean, how did people know and when did people know? Tough to say. It probably affected people in their personal lives differently. I think that's, you know, obviously the kind of question that everybody would have a different answer to. But when the money kind of stopped or when the money skipped or when we were hearing all these different kind of efforts or last ditch efforts or when we, you know, the TNN contract ended, I think, first week of October 2000. So for October, November, December, January, we're only on in syndication. Yeah. Uh, we don't have the TNN show anymore that we worked for so many years to get a network show. And we wound up only having it for like 12 or 13 months. Um, it's tough. 
Yeah, man, absolutely. Um, uh, so you, you, sp- you spoke of all this, but I wanted to just ask you if you were at the final show in Pine Bluff. Uh, you went there? No. No. It's all right. I wasn't there for that weekend. No, uh, I think the last live event I did was uh, the Guilty as Charged pay-per-view. Okay. No, it's fair enough. I just wanted to, to check on that. Yeah. Uh, over to you, Jack. Sure. Um, so you, why didn't the uh, WWF end up bringing you in? I mean, you were the perfect fit back then. I know that you mentioned the public enemy didn't have a, have a uh, long run, which they didn't, but they still could have surely found something else for you, even during the invasion. I mean, uh, you would have been the perfect fit even in 2001. I appreciate that. Um, I get asked it all the time. Um, and unlike a lot of stuff, I think that people get asked as much, I don't have an answer. I don't know. Um, I don't know. I I, I don't know whether they think I'd be difficult to work with. Um, you know, I went to TNA and in the course of a promo with Goldilocks, I kissed her. And I think that it wasn't written in the script. And in ECW, we didn't have scripts. And in TNN, we uh, in TNA, we did. And I kind of had creative input where... So I don't know. So word gets around. So, I, you know, sometimes I wonder myself, like, do they think I'd be hard to work with? Um I really don't know. I've run the gamut in my mind when it comes to conspiracy theory or just plain logic of why maybe I haven't gotten a closer look or why I never wound up there or why the interest at specifically certain times hasn't been there. Like there have been times, you know, it goes from everything to, you know, do they think I'd be hard to work with and that kind of thing to like it's almost tough to put into words you know you you try to you know the same way you guys are wondering it uh you know internally i'm wondering it and i there's just no answer for it yeah oh you know i but you know hopefully you know there's always it's the power of yet you know hopefully um you know as a talker who's not bumping around and and you know physically in there working um, you know, my best days are ahead. And, you know, you look to somebody like Paul Heyman, my mentor, he is 10 years older than I am. So he's out there right now, 55 years old in the prime of his career. Yeah. So who knows, you know, maybe 10 years from now, he won't want to be out on the road and doing it anymore. And he would want to pass the torch to a protege. And for all I know, you know, I'm 10 years away from having a nice five-year run. Yeah. I, I, I have, you never know what tomorrow holds. Um, so I, I don't know. Um, but I'm, I'm thankful to be in that position where, you know, this year I'll be 46. I'll be 30 years in. And my best days are ahead, I'd like to think. So, yeah. That's awesome, man. That's uh, a lot of the time. <clears throat> a lot of the time, the guests on our show will talk about. Uh, they talk in a way where they feel like the their days are well behind them. So the, that's awesome to hear that you still think you've got um, a lot to a lot to offer and a lot left in the tank, man. So that's great. 
especially after you know nothing years, no, so. nothing's changed but as time goes by you get experience and as time goes by no matter how much knowledge you have no matter how much data you have no matter how much information you have no matter how much education you have the one thing that takes time to develop is wisdom there is no wisdom before age there is no wisdom before experience so every day you know more business acumen more wrestling psychology more thinking and working and planning and practicing and you know you just have to hope that that experience and that wisdom is what will one day bring you to the table hopefully as a performer if not as a performer maybe as a producer and agent you know uh, you know door i like to think is always open that's awesome yeah um, i'll tell you what i've done my bit in trying to get joel gertner back on tv uh, AEW asked, what are 10 things you'd like to see from AEW this year? And the first thing I put on the list was, uh, hi, Joel Gertner. <laughs> I appreciate that. Thank you. Hey, they had the sinister minister, uh, James Mitchell on, uh, the, this past week's dynamite. So oh, really? Oh man. Nice. Yeah. For a wedding segment, man. It was oh, perfect. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you brought up TNA before and, uh, kissing Goldilocks and, uh, you were in TNA with the Rainbow Express, so why were you there for uh, such a short time? And uh, how was the experience? Yeah, it, it was it was a good time, but like you say, it was a short time. Um, I don't know why it was so short. I mean, like I say, there was that promo with Goldilocks, and it might have been seen instead of me trying to add to it or just give it some more flavor. It might be seen like I was going into business for myself. Um, I don't know. And then right around that same time, on the business end of things, they were being misled. They were being kind of lied to by their pay-per-view analytics arm called Team Services. They were being lied to about how many buys they had, where they were kind of being pumped up and juiced and being told, oh, you've got this many buys, so you've got this much money coming in the next few months. Come to find out that was a work. They didn't have the level of exposure that they did. And in the weeks to come, in that early part of their development, they wound up having to cut down on fly-ins. Um, I was a fly-in. So when I stopped getting booked and I said to myself, it could be because they think that you're going into business for yourself, you're hard to work with, but it could also be that you're a fly-in and there's this team services scandal. It could be and or, maybe it's not binary. Maybe it's both. Maybe it's neither. You never know. So I wound up kind of moving, relocating, I should say, to Nashville. And I lived there for about four months. And I tried to get on by showing them and visiting there pretty much every week that, hey, I'm a local now. I'm here. So if you want to use me, you don't have to worry about flying me or putting me in a hotel. Wow. I'm in Nashville. I've come here because I want to work here. And, um, and they were just going through a transitionary time. And I wound up not catching back on with them. And, uh, and I wound up coming home to New York after about four months. Shit. Nice. Oh. Righty, well, um, I guess it's over to me, Jack, with, uh, yep. I guess, the question I'm most excited to talk about because uh, it, it's awesome at the same time, but uh, your involvement in it really, I guess, when I look back, it upsets me a little bit. It's ECW One Night Stand, the very first one. Uh, obviously, it was an amazing show. Uh, and as I've said many times, I never really thought that the uh, invaders from Raw and SmackDown were, you know, essential to be on the show. But I guess they felt otherwise. Um, so 
first of all, how do you first find out about this and get contacted to be a part of it? Secondly, what did you think about your inclusion on the show? And thirdly, I just thought it was fucking bullshit that you didn't get to do what we're all wanting to see you do and hear from you, which is do the fucking Gertner thing. So <laughs> please tell me, what did you think of all this? And, and why was it that you were going to be cut off before you even got to do your bit? Um, you'd have to ask the writing team that. Uh, no. I'm not sure exactly. <laughs> uh, probably just for the heat. You know what I mean? Probably they figured... You know, people who like me as a babyface talent probably really wanted to hear it. So the heat would be in, you know, heels like Bischoff and uh, JBL and, and those types, Kurt Angle, uh, cutting me off and not letting me do it. You know, I guess that's the heat is yeah. the whole reason this guy's here is to do that thing. So don't let him do it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, you know, what a great night um, for me um, to work with the WWE in my hometown uh, at a building where I had gone to see Monday Night Raw when I was 17, 18 years old. Um, just uh, just um, amazing, you know, um, really, really great experience. Uh, Tommy Dreamer was working in human resources at the time, uh, talent resources. And, um, and he reached out to me. Um, I I'm 99% sure that he reached out to me. I don't think I reached out to him first upon getting word that the show was happening. I'm pretty sure that he hit me up, but um, uh, be that as it may, we wound up on the phone with each other and um, yeah, just uh, you know, a great night. Um, uh, a whole bunch of pros to work with. Uh, it really looks like JBL broke off the stump of his foot in my ass. Uh, it didn't feel that way. I don't think it was all adrenaline either. I think he was a pro. I took my own bump down about a half a flight of steps, maybe the whole flight. Um, the, the bit with Bischoff and the coffee and the bit with uh, Kurt Angle interrupting me. And I mean, listen, man, how many legends do you want to work with in one segment? You know what I mean? <laughs> Eric Bischoff, Kurt Angle, JBL. You know, you've got an Olympic gold medalist. you got a wrestling god. And you got the guy that beat Vince for 82 weeks. You know what I mean? So uh, yeah. can't complain there. Um Amazing. Just, a, you know, again, I wasn't a fly in because I was local. It was in New York. I lived in New York. I think I took a taxi home. It was that close to home. Uh, it was, uh, we got there at 12 noon. We left the building at 12 midnight. I was staying over my parents' place that night because I was living in Brooklyn. I think they lived in the city closer to the building. So like I say, I took a cab home. So I left the building and all of the electric vibe and the atmosphere, and it was only an hour or two after the show ended. I left, it, I left the building at 12 midnight. By 12.15, I was in my parents' house, laying down on the couch, winding down, decompressing. Um, oh. which is the antithesis to those Travelodge days where you'd be up until <laughs> six in the morning. But um, just, uh, gosh, just, you know, they gave me a pay-per-view bonus as if I was signed, as if I was on the roster. Oh, wow. I wasn't expecting the bonus. They didn't need to give it to me. Just six months down the line, it came in the mail. Um, just a really, really, really pleasant experience. It was, I was actually under a contract for the weekend, I was a freelancer. I was an independent contractor. Uh, it wasn't a full-time, you know, three-year or anything like that deal, but it also wasn't just like the indies where it's done on a handshake. 
there is an agreement that you sign. And I signed it literally for those two days, Saturday and Sunday. And it was just uh, while you're under their contract, even though it's under, even though it's two days long, you know, you're, you're treated as their contracted talent. And um, it was just a very, very professional experience. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's man. great. That's awesome. Maybe they, maybe they got me. And I've been mad all this time because they, they knew how to get heat out of me. But, you know, I wanted to see what I wanted to see. But another thing that, you know, you got shoved over by JBL and I'm afraid of heights and you're up on that balcony there, man. I would have shot myself being pushed. I don't, <laughs> that was such a hard shove. If I were you, I would have been like, shit myself, shit myself. Um, there were stairs right there, man. There was the stairs to go down to the level below. And when he pushed me right near those stairs, I didn't know how long the camera was going to stay on me. And I didn't know what was in frame and what was out of frame. I didn't know whether the camera was going to keep the stairs. So I didn't want to fall at the top of the stairs and just freeze myself like ice and paralyze. So I just <laughs> took the tumble and rolled all the way down the stairs <laughs> in case the camera was going to catch it. I, looking back, it probably didn't. And I took a big staircase bump for nothing. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you got to do what you got to do. Absolutely, bro. Um, so another uh, one that I wanted to throw at you was uh, Hardcore Homecoming. Uh, that's in the old ECW arena. It's the same weekend, I believe. Uh, were, you, were you a part of that show? And, and if you were, uh, how did that feel to be, you know, uh, be there? And, and did it feel like the old ECW? I was part of that show. I think I lined up that one before Tommy reached out to me. I'm trying to remember how things worked out. But I think when I got the WWE offer, I think I wound up saying to Tommy, I've got this other show. I'd prefer not to cancel. Can I do it? And I think he said, yeah, there's uh, a handful of talent that are on both shows. And if you got that show first, you can do it. Uh, um, so, yeah, so I, I was on that show. Um, and it was great to be back at the arena. It was like a high school reunion. It was cool to see everybody. Um yeah, it was awesome. I think I now now I, I was just I had I went I, I blanked I did I couldn't remember what you did on the show. I think you had a confrontation with Cyrus. Yeah. Um. So was that fun to rehash that one last time between you two? Because you two just had great chemistry. It was. Like, yeah. Anyway. It was kind of closure that wasn't closure. You know, it was like yeah. oh let's put this behind us and then of course you know like you know Tom and Jerry and like Itchy and Scratchy. It's like <laughs> it ends the way it always ends. Um, <laughs> uh yeah yeah that was a lot of fun and joey was involved in that one and he was like completely on my side like there was no tweener vibes from me whatsoever i was a complete baby face um because it was ecw's you know hardcore homecoming it was just uh yeah that was a blast that's cool man and before i throw it to jack just quickly i needed to get your perspective on this because uh this was something that kind of got my hopes up a little bit back in the day but extreme rising uh, I know that you did color for them for a, a bit there. Uh, your perspective, what the hell happened there with that? Because I thought there was a lot of promise. Um, aside from the first show, of course, there was a bit of a problem mm. there. But after that, I felt like it was really starting to gain a bit of momentum. Yeah, it seemed like the issues from the first show did not go ahead and, and kill all of the demand for the product. So that was great. Um, the talent that was lined up was great. So there was a lot of promise. There was a lot of potential. Um, 
I don't know if it was. It, it must have been something administrative. I know they wanted to do TV. Yeah. They had a local kind of cable outlet um, that was local to Philly and like a hundred miles or so either way of Philly. And, um, and they were going to do some local TV and it was going to be, I think at the end of the day, it was going to be me and Matt Stryker. Um, they were looking at me and they were looking at like, I think maybe they gave me a short list of three people that they were looking at with me. And I think out of the three of them, I had worked with Stryker and I knew he was local and, uh, I might've, recommended him so they were looking at that um i don't know why nothing more ever came of extreme rising it kind of fizzled out and um i think they wound up selling tickets to a show that didn't happen and then they had to go through the whole refund process and there was um the thing at the end with like the title and the title changing hands and like i don't know it kind of it kind of got really convoluted um Again, I think it's a case of, you know, I'd, I'd rather give you, not give you an answer or give you a non-answer or just yeah. kind of admit my ignorance to it than <laughs> just, you know, kind of, you know, pick the tea leaves and like, um, I'm just, I was close enough to the situation while I was there and I was close enough to have input, make recommendations and, and, and I was, you know, I was in the circle, but maybe just outside the circle enough that I don't really know the details as to why it fell apart. Yeah. Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, over to you, Jeff. Sure. Um, last round of questions here before we go to um, our final segment, uh, five second frenzy. So going on with the uh, sort of the, the trend here of uh, those uh, ECW reunion shows. Uh, how did you enjoy uh, TNA hardcore justice? That was fun. That was, um, you know, you talk about closure and, uh, and I was kind of actually hopeful that that might reopen, um, you know, a pathway to me working there regularly. But um, after doing the first couple of live TNA shows, which wound up being, I think, the first three weekly pay-per-view episodes, um, and then not being able to get back on with them while I was kind of staying in Nashville, um, it was fun to go back. And, uh, and it was cool. Um, some stuff was the same. Uh, you know, um, still, you know, there's the structure that we didn't have an ECW of having scripts and, yeah. you know, producers for your match and whatnot like the, the, But I didn't mind that, you know, I, I worked well, I think, within that kind of format um, when I did ECW One Night Stand in 05. Um, so, you know, didn't mind that. Um, I, you know, actually, it was really there's nothing to say bad about my experience at Hardcore Justice, it it really was a good time. And it was also um, very, very professional. And, and I thought it, it really went well. Um, it was great to hang out with everybody. Uh, great to see everybody, which at the time was only happening every few years. Um, but yeah, I had a blast. It's awesome, man. And um, last of all, Joel, do you have any regrets? No, um, I don't ever regret things that I do. Uh, I'm of the school of thought that regret is for the things you don't do. Like if I would have not left school, if I would have not tried to go full time with ECW, if I would have, you know, just said to myself, you know, maybe this opportunity will still be there in three years. Um, 
if it wasn't, then I would have never known and I would have never known exactly what I did miss. Um, so I, I'm, I'm always of that kind of school of thought, you know, take the chance. If you're offered a ride on a rocket ship, take it no matter what seat it is. And um, so I would rather regret not, or I would rather regret doing something than regret not doing something. And having said that, I don't regret everything that I've done because I got to live a dream. Um, I got to do work that was the work that I wanted to do. Um, so no, absolutely zero regrets. Amazing, man. Awesome stuff. Uh, Carl, over to you for Five Second Frenzy and um, we'll close the show out. Yep, cool, man. And, and before we get to Five Second Frenzy, um, I just wanted to say this. I, I interviewed Bay Ragney, uh, who used to be Chubby Dudley. Uh, back in the back in the day and I I was talking to you know obviously the conversation is strictly going to be about the Dudley family and I thought and I said to him wouldn't this be a great idea for like when this COVID thing's over and done with a, a star cast or something like that a Dudley family reunion with every single person who was a Dudley 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 Snot Dudley you know little Spike yourself get everyone there I mean you weren't a Dudley, but you were Studley Dudley. Let's let's say that. Um, you know, get the whole gang together. Uh, you know, for a panel, and fans can ask questions. I think a Dudley family reunion would be a hell of a draw for something like Starcast. So, just throwing the idea out there, putting the seed in your mind, and hopefully, eventually, it can all come together. <laughs> Sounds good. Uh, right. So, Joel, before I get to five second frenzy, do you have anything that you want to plug? Um, so we've got, uh, the podcast that I just started doing at the beginning of the year. Uh, we do it once a month at the top of the month. Um, me and the blue meanie and Josh Chernoff hosting, and it's called that was extreme. It is available on adfreeshows.com uh, through their Patreon, but it is at the free level. So you may see that it's Patreon. Um, but this title right now is, um, free content. Um, I do my own personal podcast called the 69 minute eargasm. Um, you can find that wherever you get podcasts. Uh, Alexa will play it if you ask nicely. Um, and we have um, wrestling and stand up comedy guests. So the 69 minute eargasm. Um, I have a YouTube channel. Please subscribe to that. It is under my name, Joel Gertner. Uh, I'm going to be at Jimmy's World Order uh, wrestling store. Uh, in two weeks on February 21st in East Los Angeles, California. Um, I am on Twitter at Studmuffin Says. I am on Instagram at Quintessential Studmuffin. And if you have disposable income and you would like to help support a Studmuffin, uh, you can reach out and get a Cameo uh, digital video message, uh, cameo.com slash Joel Gertner. I've got t-shirts available as well. You can find those at prowrestlingtees.com slash Joel Gertner. Wonderful. Beautiful. Excellent stuff, bro. Uh, and I'm definitely going to start checking out some of those podcasts. Uh, so here we go, Joel. Five second frenzy. You have five seconds to answer each question. Even if you break the five second rule, it's okay. We won't be upset. Uh, so here we go. The very first question here for five second frenzy, your favorite wrestler. Jake the Snake Roberts. Nice. Excellent. Uh, the next one's your favorite opponent, but I guess who would be your favorite adversary? Cyrus. 
Yeah, thought so. Uh, the favourite match you've ever seen? Uh, if I only have five seconds, Savage versus Steamboat from WrestleMania 3 still holds up. Good. Yeah. Uh, favorite TV show? Favorite TV show? Uh, gosh. It was South Park at one time, and then it was Family Guy, and then it was BoJack Horseman, um, animated <laughs> theme there. Uh, favorite TV show? Gosh, I liked House. I liked, I'm going to have to ask the wife. Damages was good. Um, oh, um, wow, that's a tough one. I love TV, but it's tough to come up with a favorite show. <laughs> it really well, is. Hopefully, uh, you don't have too much of a hard time with the next one. Oh, your favorite film? Oh, favorite film, uh, Shawshank Redemption. Oh, nice. awesome. We've had that answer several times on the show. Uh, favorite book? Favorite book. I'm not much of a reader. I wish I was. I often make the initiative to read and then I fail beautifully. <laughs> um, can I tell you my least favorite book recently? Sure. The, oh, great, yeah. the Great Gatsby, which last year uh, I promised myself that I would read it. It's only like 180 pages. It took me all year because I kept dilly-dallying <laughs> to the point where I was sitting on my couch at 11.30 at night on New Year's Eve with 10 minutes of reading to go just so I could force myself to finish it in that calendar year. Like I <laughs> promised myself one year earlier, I had already read it in high school. It was no better. The second time around it drags a lot. It's written in a certain style that is just not for me. Uh, so I'd have an easier time of telling you my current least favorite book, which would be the great Gatsby by Fitzgerald. That's great. That's a great Excellent. answer. That is. Uh, favorite musical artist? Uh, the Killers. Have I had a favorite musical artist since The Killers? <laughs> the Killers. Disturbed. Killers. The Killers. Um, I like rock. Yeah. Excellent. Uh, your favorite food? You don't get a body like this by accident. I've got about 15 favorite foods. Uh, <laughs> first thing that came to mind, French onion soup. Yeah, buffalo wings, which, which I'll be having today for the, for the Super Bowl. Um, French onion soup. Very yes. nice. Uh, favorite place to eat on the road? Cracker Barrel, which I, you guys probably don't have in Australia, but don't, that's no. also the kind of answer that you've probably gotten more than once. But yeah. Cracker Barrel and Waffle House, and <laughs> yeah, uh, Waffle there are House, a lot of yeah. iconic. Yeah, um, both of those are pretty good. Yeah, can't wait to come to the US one day and go to both those places. And Denny's. Oh, hell yeah. We get, we get Denny's a lot as well. Uh, hell and, yeah. And all of those places are super affordable. Like, not a lot here in the States is. But those places, like you drop 10 or 15 American dollars and you just walk out stuffed. <laughs> so good. Awesome, man. Uh, favorite alcoholic beverage? Favorite alcoholic beverage? I like a slow gin. I like these really, uh, for lack of a better term, girly drinks, like these red, froofy, like cocktail drinks. Um, I was a bartender and I just, I made some of these and then I tried them and I liked them, but a slow gin fizz is good. Cause it's kind of like a Shirley temple with alcohol. And um, there's another drink that I've, that I've made. You can make it as a shot, 
but I make it in a highball glass, like 10 ounces, and it, it creeps up on you because it's two-thirds alcohol, but it tastes like it's less than one-third alcohol. It's called a cherry jello. Okay. It tastes exactly like red liquid gelatin before the you know before it gelatinizes. And it's one-third amaretto, one-third blackhouse, and one-third cranberry juice. And somehow that cranberry juice cuts the two-thirds of the drink that's alcohol. The whole thing tastes like juice, but it's super dangerous, high in alcohol content, sweet like sugar. And if you have three of them, you're on your ass. <laughs> awesome, man. I'll have to try that one day. Uh, second last one for Five Second Frenzy. It's the naughtiest one of Five Second Frenzy. Your favorite female body part? Feet. Interesting. You can tell a lot. Here's the thing. If a woman takes care of her feet, then you can imagine she takes care of all else. Everything else will be. Yeah. Yeah. I find, I find feet. Look, you can't compare a woman's vagina to a man's vagina because we don't (laughs) have them. You can't even compare a woman's breasts to a man's breasts because that doesn't make any sense. But you can tell, like, if I showed you a picture and there was no face involved, it was just the foot, you would be able to tell a woman's foot from a man's foot. And a lot of it is in how much care they take of it and how much they pride. So, like I say, you know, a woman who takes care of her feet is destined to um, be very, very... um, concerned with her appearance i think in general so i just for some reason i find feet sexy very good bro. very good and uh the last one joel gertner your favorite curse word uh my favorite curse word is god fuck it I think if, if if I'm walking around the house and like something falls or I stub my toe, I think I've got this thing that I scream out that's God fuck it or something <laughs> similar to that. So I guess I, I can coin that as a as a personal one. Um, I used to I used to pick up back in the day. I used to go up to um, women um, in the hotel bar after the ECW show or whatever. And as a compliment to them, when they were trying to pick me up and I in return might be flirting back with them, I would call them sugar pussy. (laughs) I don't consider that a curse word. So let's just go with God. Fuck it. (laughs) Let's go with that. That's awesome. That's That's, that's a fucking great answer. That's some good shit right there. Uh, Well, quintessential stud muffin, Joel Gertner. We are so happy that we got the chance to finally have you on the show. We really appreciate it. You should be so proud of what you've done in the wrestling business because in the most isolated city in the world, Perth, Western Australia, you have guys right here that appreciate you for everything you do, my friend. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. And this was a ton of fun, man. I can't (laughs) believe how quickly it went, dude. It's awesome. Yeah, time flies when you're having fun, Joel. So thank you again for having fun with us today. Thank you so much. And thank you guys for watching here. The Insider's Edge podcast on the WCWA Network. This is myself, California Free, alongside our friend Joel Gertner. And we will see you next time.